This evening in your Bibles, we would invite you to turn to a scripture reading from Romans 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7 in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 1306. After we read from the inspired Word of God, we'll also be reading from what we receive and believe to be a faithful summary of that Word of God, our Belgic Confession, Article 36. Uh, And the section that we'll be reading from of Article 36 is found on page 197 uh, in your Forms and Prayers book. Uh, You will remember uh, the last two weeks we have considered this article that deals with the civil government, uh, and it is our purpose this evening to conclude this brief series of sermons on this article with a third sermon dealing with uh, the biblical truth that is summarized in the last two paragraphs of Article 36 of the Belgic Confession. But we first read from the Word of God as we find it this evening in Romans 13, beginning at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And thus far, our reading from the Word of God this evening. If you then turn on page 197, Uh, We begin at the second paragraph on that page, and we read, Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government, and pay taxes, and hold its representatives in honor and respect, and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's Word, praying for them, that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways, and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, and all piety and decency. And on this matter we denounce the Anabaptists, other anarchists, and in general, all those who want to reject the authorities and civil officers, and to subvert justice by introducing common ownership of goods, and corrupting the moral order that God has established among human beings." A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, of course, is the inspired Word of God, Uh, but Romans 13 is also a passage that, especially in recent years, uh, with the COVID pandemic and with uh, certain uh, regulations uh, that the government officials took, Romans 13 is a passage that has been hotly debated within the churches, you might say has been tossed about uh, back and forth. And it's not my intention this evening to give an exposition of Romans 13. Uh, What I designed to do with God's help 
is rather to draw out some biblical principles from passages such as Romans 13 as those biblical principles are summarized in our Belgic Confession. I just want to say this as a pastoral word to all of us. Uh, Over the past number of years, as I've observed and at times participated in uh, the bantering around Romans 13, that we all do well to be reminded that we should not toy with the Word of God. Uh, We should not just quickly grab text and use them as hastily slung arrows to fling at opponents. Uh, Rather, with prayerful dedication to the principles of proper understanding of Scripture, uh, we ought to look at Scripture and identify what exactly is the Spirit uh, saying to the churches. So let us always handle the Word of God with proper respect and with reverence and humility. And so we attempt to do that, and again, with God's help this evening, by identifying basic biblical truths that are derived from passages such as Romans 13 uh, that apply to that all-important question of how are we now to interact with governing authorities. It's interesting that by God's providence, we find ourselves considering Article 36 uh, in an upcoming election cycle. And by way of introduction, I also just want to say that it is the privileged opportunity for the Christian not to live in a monastic type of detraction from the political arena, but rather to be engaged, to be engaged citizens, as opportunity permits us to be engaged. Uh, We think of the instruction that the Lord gave uh, to the exiles of Israel as they were heading off to a foreign land, and the instruction to seek the well-being of the city in which God has called us and placed us. And by His providence, He, God, has called us and placed us in the community of Pella, in the state of Iowa, in the nation of the United States of America. And guided by biblical principles, you and I have the solemn opportunity and responsibility in our own political involvement to seek the well-being of the city in which God has called us to live. Uh, And these biblical principles, we believe, will be helpful uh, in informing us how to do just that. Uh, So we want to consider this evening, once again, this theme, our belief concerning civil government. You might call it part three. Uh, We'll first of all, with some review, look at a proper view of government, and then secondly, a proper action to government, and then thirdly, a proper request for government. Uh, So our belief concerning civil government, a proper view, a proper action, and a proper request. First of all, a proper view of government, and again, we don't necessarily apologize for this, but we do recognize the fact that there is a bit of repetition in this first point from what we've considered uh, in past weeks. A proper view of government first begins with an understanding of the biblical purpose of government. 
This must always be held clearly in our minds and in our hearts and in our understanding. And these biblical truths must be communicated from one generation to the next generation. And that in part is why we as Reformed churches see great value in having our confessions. Not that they are equal to Scripture. We must always maintain that our three forms of unity are subordinate to Scripture, but we believe that they are helpful tools to communicate biblical truth from one generation to the next generation and to remind ourselves of the biblical purpose of government, first of all, as a divine institution. You'll notice what the Apostle Paul states there in Romans 13, verse 1, "'For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So first of all, there is this clear statement that all authority belongs to God. Now that already will set us on a course of contradiction with secular humanism, but we dare not, we dare not retreat one iota from that statement. All authority belongs to God. And God has been pleased for a number of reasons, most predominant perhaps the orderliness of society, God has been pleased to appoint persons to positions of authority. Now, if you look at Romans 13 verse 1, it's very clear that no authority exists except that which God has appointed. But the authority that God has appointed wields divinely mandated authority. And so our biblical understanding of divine institution, first of all, means that it is not proper authority if someone just simply stands up with the loudest voice or with the greatest show of military force and says, I am a person of authority. You can shout that all day long. But unless you are divinely appointed to your position of authority, you are not in authority. I remember in my hometown uh, growing up, uh, a man who sadly uh, had limited cognitive faculties and he had a very, very sad upbringing. And he would stand, and he was probably in his 30s, he would stand in one of the busiest streets of our small little town of Hudsonville, Michigan, and he would direct traffic. He would imitate the local police officer. And he would tell one row of cars to stop and another row of cars to keep going. And everybody would slow down, but they didn't really pay him any attention as far as the directing of traffic. Well, why not? Well, he was not divinely appointed. He had no authority. He could tell one car to stop and another car to go. But God had not put him in that place. But at the same time, and you see how balanced Scripture is, when the local police officer, in those days it was Officer Hanholt, that was his name, again, small community, everyone knew him, when he stood in that same intersection, and when he would direct traffic, well, then everyone submitted to his direction. Why? because he was legitimately appointed to that office of authority. And this is just basic biblical understanding. 
but we point it out uh, because we want to warn ourselves uh, against the understanding uh, that anybody who flexes some type of influential impact upon a society is in a position of authority. All authority that is legitimate authority is put in place by God, and is put in place for a limited role, for a focused role, especially seen uh, in the punishment of the evildoer and in the protection of those who do well. And so Romans 13 verse 4 also is very clear, for he that is the legitimately appointed civil magistrate is God's minister or God's servant or God's agent to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And and they say sometimes that confession is good for the soul, although I have learned uh, in large part uh, through the advice of my wife also to be very, very, very careful with your speed when you're on 163 heading towards Des Moines, especially around the area of Prairie City because of the camera that apparently is there. And at times we'll we'll come over the crest, and many of you can probably picture exactly where I'm talking, Uh, and, and there sits a police officer. And you know as well as I know that if you've set your cruise control at 65 miles an hour, you think nothing of it when you see the police officer there. But if your cruise control has been overcome by your lead foot, immediately your heart begins to beat a little bit faster. And you go, oh, there's a police officer. The point is simply this, that by and large, and we understand that there are sad exceptions where an individual abuses power, but by and large, those who do good and those who do well have no fear of the civil magistrate. But those who do evil, they should have a fear of the civil magistrate because the civil magistrate is designed and put in place to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do well. Uh, But now we come to our understanding of the contemporary form of government. Scripture does not reveal a mandated, unified form of government. Uh, We find, for example, a, a monarchy all throughout the Old Testament, but there is not the divine mandate for a continued monarchy in our own day. So the form of government is revealed by God's providence, but is not explicitly demanded by God's Word. And and by God's providence, we find ourselves in our context living underneath the form of government of a constitutional republic. And we we need to be careful not to branch out too far into some type of civics class, but this is important for our understanding that in Providence we find ourselves underneath this form of government, including the three branches of government, each with their constitutionally defined roles. And we say that just to put the church on alert notice that we are going to have to work through the implications. Uh, Is it legitimate for one office or one branch uh, to intrude upon another branch? And and, and you hear the news, you hear the talks as well, Uh, and and so the judicial branch comes out with a decision, uh, but if the executive branch doesn't like the judicial branch's decision, the executive branch at least hints to or alludes to the fact that maybe perhaps they just won't go along with the judicial branch. Maybe they'll just completely eliminate the judicial branch. Well, as Christians, with our 
providential blessings, we need to understand these things so that we can seek the well-being of the city in which God has called us to dwell. And that we can recognize that by God's providence, we have been given a government not of persons, but of law. And that the highest law in our land underneath God is our constitution with its three branches and with the persons who fill those three branches. And this is where I say we need, we need thoughtful, biblical analysis of these matters rather than just quickly cutting and pasting text and tossing it back and forth, bantering about. Uh, We simply make this point of application in regards to the contemporary form of government. We ought to be extremely thankful in God's providence that we have this form of government, especially as this form of government has been well-suited to preserve our religious freedoms. From time to time, I have the opportunity uh, to go into the post office here in Pella, and maybe you've seen it as well, the, the, the mural that's painted there. And I think if I'm standing in the, the right there in my mind, on, on the left side, there is a picture of Domini Scolti in the Netherlands on his way to be imprisoned and fined. For what crime? For the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then you also see uh, a painting of a ship with individuals sailing on that ship, depicting the immigration from the Netherlands to the prairies of Pella. For what purpose? And I hope that we pass these truths on from one generation to the next generation. There might have been a variety of motivating factors in the individual persons who joined with this band of immigrants, but the overall purpose, what did they desire? Freedom of religion. Freedom to preach and teach and live out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ unhindered by civil authority. And by and large, you and I have been able to do that for many, many a decade. And we ought to not abuse that privilege, but we ought to seize that privilege and earnestly pray that that privilege would be maintained for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and do everything legitimately that we can to ensure that those freedoms are indeed preserved so that our great-grandchildren can come just as conveniently and freely to publicly worship, that they can organize Uh, Christian schools, and that they can instruct their children in the fear of the Lord uh, without unnecessary influence from the civil magistrate. And, And so, a few statements about a proper view of government. Well, what then is our action and our second point to be in response to government? If we understand those biblical principles as they apply to government, Uh, Two things about our action. First of all, there must be an internal honor of the office, and then secondly, an external obedience to the officials. First of all, there an internal honor. And honor has this sense of recognizing the weight of something, recognizing the solemnity of something. And you and I ought to honor the office, recognizing that the office is put in place by divine institution of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, that the office of civil magistrate is not just simply a human construction, 
not just part of a social experiment, but rather the office of civil magistrate in whatever particular form it may be, whether it is a monarch or whether it is a constitutional republic, whether we have a king, whether we have a president, whether we have elected representatives, that that office is given on the basis of divine authority. And there also ought to be an honor of the office when we recognize the purpose, when we think that the purpose of civil magistrate is that order might be preserved. And if we, if we recognize the importance of order, which oftentimes we don't really appreciate until it's lacking. If you were to go to a community in which complete lawlessness, anarchy, rioting, looting was the norm, and then come back to Pella. And I just picked Pella because we're, we're living here, obviously. And see the measure of orderliness. Well, then we would be profoundly thankful. Then we would recognize this office of civil magistrate is vital and important for the maintaining of order. Now, we want to make a qualification. This Honoring of the office does not mean that we have to esteem evil persons who may find themselves in office. I give you two examples. The first is that of Elijah, and you can read about this in 1 Kings 21. The king in his day, Ahab. Elijah had respect for the office of king. But you can argue that he had no respect for Ahab. And you can also argue, even more pointedly, that he had no respect for Jezebel. But they were the persons in the office. He had respect for the office of king and of queen, but he had no respect for the absolutely wickedly vile persons who characterized themselves with gross acts of idolatry that negatively impacted the life of Israel. And so he could prophesy, and rightfully so, that the dogs would take care of Jezebel. And we just bring this out because this is a helpful, we believe, distinction uh, that, yes, even when evil persons are in office, we still honor the office. But that doesn't mean that we can't identify and point out the evil character of the person in office and do so with biblical truth. Uh, we are to honor the persons only insofar as they legitimately uphold legal laws. And that is the second part of how we are to act towards legitimate government, lawful obedience. And this is very plain in Romans 13, uh, that we are to obey. You must obey. Verse 5 also, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. We must obey those who are in legitimate positions of authority when they are legitimately exercising proper prerogatives of their authority. We must obey to avoid wrath, but we must also obey out of conscience' sake. All legal laws, including those of taxation, now that doesn't mean that you have to pay 
as much tax as you possibly can, but it means that you must be legal and above the board also in these matters. And now I confess that I don't have the answer to how we are going to sort these things out if and when our government becomes more corrupt in using tax funds for indescribable actions of evil. We're going to have to work these things out. But we need to reckon with the fact that insofar as the government is legally constituted, we must pay taxes. But then we also need to find our voice to remind those to whom we pay our taxes. This is the reason why we pay those taxes, and this is the reason why you receive those funds to fulfill the divine mandate that God has given you to punish the evildoer and to protect those who do well. And when will the church find its voice? You, you can look to the West Coast and to Governor Gavin Newsom and the statements that he is beginning to make concerning abortion. When will the church find its voice and say, excuse me, Mr. Governor, may we remind you that you are put in place by God to punish the evildoer and to reward those who do well. And that, and that alone, is why we pay you our tax dollars. Not to flip that around. Not to punish those who do well. Not to punish those who seek to live according to the commandments of God. Not to punish those who seek to worship God in spirit and truth and protect those who seek uh, to rip the unborn babies from the wombs of their mothers. With humble confidence, the church needs at some point to be engaged and the Christian needs to be engaged to say to the civil magistrate, you have things upside down. And this also is pointed out in Acts 5, verse 29, when the leaders of the day, the religious authorities of the day, command Peter to stop preaching along with the other apostles. Acts 5, verse 29 says that Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so very clearly the church has long understood if the civil government forbids something that God clearly commands, the church with proper respect says to the civil magistrate, we are going to obey God, not man. Because when a civil magistrate seeks to forbid something God has clearly commanded, that civil magistrate ceases to function in their legitimate position of authority. And this is true in all realms of authority. If someone in a realm of authority goes outside or beyond the limits of their authority, they're no longer functioning as legitimate authority. And so you can think of instances uh, where sadly, yes, at times people in authority abuse their authority. And abused persons 
in their sphere or realm of influence. At such times, what is our course of action? Uh, do we humbly submit to such abuse? No. We ought to obey God rather than man. And, and the same could be said when the civil magistrate commands us to do something that is forbidden by God. We say no. As you find also uh, with the image there uh, in the wilderness, when the command was given uh, to all of the inhabitants to bow down, those members of the church in the Old Testament said, we cannot. And Daniel also, when the judicial command went out not to pray. What did Daniel do? You can read about it in Daniel. It's almost as if he heard the edict and he straightway went as his practice was. He wasn't doing something new just to spite the civil officials, but he went on doing what he always did, engaging in his acts of piety. And so we also, if the civil magistrate someday says, you know what, you need to stop preaching on the evils of homosexuality, what are we going to do? Are we going to quote a verse taken out of context and say, well, we need to submit to the civil authority, and this isn't really essential to the gospel anyway, so yes, okay, we'll stop. No. We will, by God's help, look at the civil magistrate and say, with all due respect, we must obey God rather than man. And God's word is clear. And when the local health department knocks on our Christian school doors and says, what? You're engaged in some form of reparative therapy? You can't do that. We're going to have to get our legal ducks in a row, so to speak, so that we can say, with all due respect, we must obey God rather than man. Now, we can bury our head in the sand and say that the days aren't coming when we need to be prepared for these things, but with all due respect, that's just ignorance. The days not only are coming, they're here. And we need to work through these principles very, very carefully, but also very promptly. That we might fully understand what our responsibility is towards the government, and then saturate all of it with a proper request for the government. And that we base in our third point upon the clear reference from 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes there to Timothy, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So the content of this prayer, and you notice uh, how biblically our confession also speaks uh, when it mentions that all of us are to pray for them, the civil magistrates, that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life and all piety and decency. And so our prayers include, or at least they ought to include, the civil magistrates at a variety of levels, that God's converting grace and that God's sanctifying grace uh, might impact these persons. And so I would just in passing ask you by way of self-reflection, how often do you pray for the various leaders at our national level, at our state level, at our local level? Let me ask the question this way, and it condemns me just as well as it perhaps may condemn you. Do we pray for them more 
or do we complain about them more? If we had to add up the sum total of our words and put them in one of the two categories, do we do more praying for our magistrates or more complaining about our magistrates? You know, it's been said, and I fully agree with it, if you are able to vote and you don't vote, then you don't get the right to complain. Well, if you're able to pray and you don't pray, then you don't get the right to complain. Pray for our magistrates. And we have the opportunity to pray with thankfulness as we look at some magistrates who are standing for that which is biblically true. I think of one clear example, and perhaps it's because such a contrast is painted from my former residence and the governor there who openly pushes for the advancement of the homosexual agenda and openly pushes for extending the so-called abortion rights to any and all. Now contrast that with the governor that God's providence has given us here. People of God, there's reason to be thankful and to express that thankfulness in our prayers. And also not only thankfulness, but also petitions. Petitions that evil rulers might be removed for the good of the city in which we live. Petitions that the rulers who are in places of authority would recognize their divine purpose. And so we can pray, Lord, May the President of the United States of America realize that his primary task is to punish the evildoer and to reward those who do well. And, and that his various cabinet officials might come uh, to greater realization of this truth as well. And you can think of the Department of Justice. We can pray for them. Lord, may they understand true justice. And may they seek to do true justice. And if they will not, then remove them, Lord, and grant those who do. But we also ought to acknowledge uh, that the reason for this request is not just simply that we might advance our own agenda, but so that we might live quiet and peaceable lives. And that we might go about a, a quiet godliness, a peaceful piety. And, and, and this is what I struggle with and what I wrestle with. We in our community and context have been blessed have been blessed for over 100, well, right around 175 years with a measure of orderliness. Now, is it resulting in peaceful piety in our community, in our own lives? We have been blessed with providential gifts beyond measure. Has it drawn us closer to the Lord? more faithful in exercises of piety. At times, the Lord God gives us over to our own desires. You will remember that Israel wanted a king, but they wanted a king like the other nations. And in doing so, they rejected the Lord. And so the question of application must be asked, when we pray for our civil magistrates, is it, Lord, grant them wisdom so that we might live a quiet and a peaceable life in the pursuit of genuine 
piety. Because that is, according to Titus, the purpose that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Much more could be said, much more perhaps should be said, but our time for now has been exhausted. I would just simply leave us with a few closing exhortations in brevity. Have a biblical understanding of civil government. Be thankful where you can be thankful in regards to civil government. Pray for civil government. But at the end of the day, remember that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Our Father in heaven, uh, we know that we have only scratched the surface uh, with all of these matters. Uh, But Lord, help us to think biblically, also in regards to the office of the civil magistrate. Uh, We are thankful for the freedoms that we have. Lord, we pray that they might not be abused by us, uh, nor be neglected by us. Uh, We are thankful for individuals in certain offices who do seek to govern according to the principles of the Word of God. Would you continue to bless them with wisdom and with uh, a certain steadfastness? We also acknowledge uh, that there are persons in office who walk contrary to your commands. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would influence them by your biblical truth, or else for the sake of the church, remove them and replace them with persons who will punish the evildoer and protect and reward those who do well. But may we not lose heart. May we know that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray this in his name. Amen.